So last week, uh, we started a new series called Heroes. We said we started out the whole series by saying, if you ever watch the news, sometimes you can get discouraged and you think, I can't possibly do anything about that. And if we're not careful, we disqualify ourselves from being able to do anything about the things we see in life. And we kicked off the series last week by reminding us that we aren't mere men. We are filled with the power of God by his Holy Spirit. We have the ability to do things. He has turned us into heroes. The moment he came to live in us, he gave us the ability to do something about the circumstances we see. And last week, the the theme for last week was heroes fill people with courage. So I hope you got an opportunity to do that this week, to speak into somebody's life, just to fill them with courage, to say, hey, someone is standing with you. Jesus is for you. He's here. He's got your back. And hopefully we're able to do that in practical ways also by not just saying, hey, somebody's got your back. I'll pray for you. How many of you know that sometimes courage is very real and very tangible, that you put your arm around somebody and you help them do something and get through circumstances? So that's what we started off with last week. We said God takes ordinary ordinary people and makes us heroes. What an amazing thought that he would be willing to use us in the circumstances that we see in life. Uh, This week I saw a bunch of quotes as as I've been thinking about this. How many of you have ever experienced that? When you think about something, you start to see it everywhere. And I started seeing all these quotes about heroes and heroic things happening. And uh, one of my favorite heroes, I'm I'm a big Marvel fan. I liked all the movies and the Avengers were just out. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. said this about being a hero. He said, hero is not a it's a verb. There's something about being a hero that implies action. It's not just a title that we inherit. You don't get to just add hero on your business card or write it after your name. If you are a hero, we do something with it. If Jesus really has made us all heroes, he would like us to be engaged in doing heroic actions in the world. So hero isn't a noun, it's a verb. So there is action in things we do. I saw this quote from Joseph Campbell. He said, a hero is someone who has given his or her life to something bigger than oneself. And I thought, isn't that a great description of what we do for Jesus? There's something bigger at work here. If you are part of New Life Fellowship, if you're in this place today, if you're part of the body of Christ, there is something bigger than ourselves at work in the world today. And when we, if we are truly heroes, we give ourselves wholehearted to that. We say, Jesus, whatever you're doing in the earth today, I want to be part of it. I want to be a hero. I want to be part of something bigger than myself. And then uh, a quote from C.S. Lewis, just to finish these quotes off. uh, He says, we are what we believe we are. We are what we believe we are. If we don't believe we're heroes, we're not going to act like it. We'll go through life as mere men, as we talked about last week. But if we believe that Jesus really has done something on our behalf, that he has filled us, that he has empowered us, then we will go out and we will act like it. We will act like what we believe we are. So Jesus would really like us to be believers. Amen? All right, two amens. I would really like you to be believers. I would like each one of us to truly and actually believe what Jesus has spoken and done in our lives and begin to act on that. Sometimes I, I forget. I'm, I'm just human. Probably like a lot of us, I forget who I really am, and I need to be reminded. Scripture talks about it being like a mirror that we need to look in to see what we really look like. This, who you are in the anointing, who you are on Sunday mornings when the presence of Jesus is here, and you're loving everybody, you want to give hugs, you want to be generous, that's the real you. That's, that's not, your, your, like, your secret identity is just the mundane, oh, I, I go to work here, I go to work here, but the real you is the superhero that Jesus has made you to be. 
And that's who we need to believe we are and begin to act like that. And uh, each week as we're going through this series, we're going to focus on something that heroes do. And to start that out today, I want to read a verse that one of the greatest heroes, or the greatest hero, I guess, of eternity, what he did for us. Colossians chapter 1 in verse 13, in speaking about the greatest hero ever, this is what Paul says about Jesus. It says, he has rescued us completely. Everybody say completely. completely. Isn't that awesome? He has rescued us completely. From the tyrannical rule of darkness, and has translated us into the kingdom realm of his beloved Son. For in the Son, all our sins are canceled, and we have the release of redemption through his very blood. Come on, that, that, that ought to be something we can get excited about. Can I read that verse one more time, and we could act like we're excited about it? That is the gospel in a nutshell. All of our sins were canceled, and redemption was released to us. Let's read it one more time. He has rescued us completely from the tyrannical rule of darkness and translated us into the kingdom realm of his beloved son. In the son, all of our sins. Everybody say all of our sins. All means all. All of our sins are canceled and we have the release of redemption through his very blood. Come on, his blood is powerful. It canceled all of our sins and it gave us redemption. What good news that we have in the scripture this morning. And uh, I love that thought. Before Star Trek ever invented the transporter, before anybody moved from one place to another in the movies or on the TV show, Jesus had that technology already. It said he translated us. That literally means you move something from one place to another. He took us out of one place we were living. You may, when you got saved, you may not have experienced a change in your physical location. You were standing in the same spot you were, but you got moved. You got moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. There was an address change that happened in your life. There was a new creation that was formed. That's good news to us. Jesus did that on our behalf. We were living in darkness. We couldn't help ourselves. We were being destroyed, not natural darkness, but oppressive, suffocating, hurtful, spiritual darkness that we were living under. And he rescued us from that, and he moved us into his kingdom where there is abundant life forevermore. That's good news this morning. So through his blood, Jesus did something that heroes do. Heroes rescue people. Heroes rescue people. And if we are called to live like Jesus and to do the things that Jesus did, we should have in our mind that we are to be rescuers. We are to go out and offer people. Come on, don't, don't get weird on me. Don't go home and, and develop some kind of uh, codependent thing with somebody else. You're not everybody's savior, but their savior lives in you. That's, that's a really good point. Thank you. Come on, don't, don't fall off the ledge and, and get to a place where somebody can only get through the day if they're depending on me. You're not their savior, but their savior lives in you. And that means that you can be a rescuer. You can offer hope to people. You can offer deliverance to people. You can offer rescue to them. Whether they want it or not is another story. But you have the capacity to do that because Jesus lives in us. We are called to be rescuers. And to talk about how we can rescue people, what we rescue them from, get some insight into being heroes this morning. I want to look at another story from the Old Testament this morning. In Genesis chapter 14, uh, you can write that down and go read the whole story later yourself. Uh, The king of Sodom 
is, how many of you remember Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities out in the plain there? The king of Sodom got four of his friends, four other kings, to go out and to fight against the kings that had invaded the land. So, there, so we, had this, we had this royal rumble going on. That, that was for you, Anson, that, that flaunt in the royal rumble and the WWE tie-in. Do we have any closet wrestling fans in the house? Yeah, the one, I got two hands that went up in the room. You guys need to talk later. And, and uh, one of my favorite people that you would never expect, how many of you remember Miss Doris? She passed away like a year and a half ago. Um, Doris, she would talk to me about wrestling all the time. You wouldn't think it just by looking at her. Oh, there's this sweet lady. She's somebody's grandma. She would come and say, did you watch wrestling last Thursday night? It was awesome. So, so we had this royal rumble going on. We had five kings versus four kings out in the plain. And I'm going to read you their names. And I practiced all day yesterday trying to say these names. And I'm not going to make the joke about baby names again, uh, even though these aren't taken anywhere. But these, these are not good names. These are not names that you would want to use. Uh, so you had the king of Sodom and these, and these four friends. So you got five kings on one side. And these are the kings that came to fight against them. And this will all tie together in a minute. So bear with me as we read their names. Uh, so in Genesis chapter 14, it says they, the four kings with the king of Sodom came against these other guys. They came against Kedor Lamar. Ooh, that's a good one. Ked, Kedor Laomer. There we go. Kedor Laomer, king of Elam. Tidal, king of Golem, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elisar. Four kings against five. Man, that sounds like it would be a mismatch, but these, these kings were very powerful, and we're going to look at their names in a minute. And it says, what happened, this, this might have been an irrelevant battle in history, except for what happened next. In Genesis chapter 14, verse 11, it says, the four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah, and all of their food, and they went away, and this is the key, they also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. How many of you know who Abram was? We've, we've read the story. He, he gets his name changed to Abraham. He's the father of the faith. All, he had these great promises from God that come to us through Christ. So this story may have been irrelevant. It might have never made it into the Bible, except the kings came and carried off Abram's nephew. And so now he's invested. He's got something to do with the story. The man of God intervenes in this story, and we'll see in a minute. So looking at these four kings that came into the plain to invade them, the the complicated names, uh, they represent things that we need to be rescued from and things that you know people that are dealing with these things that they need to be rescued from. So the ringleader of this whole little party was Keter Laomer, and... uh, his name literally means a handful of sheaves, like sheaves that you would go out and tie grain together in the fields and carry them back to the barn. And you might think, that doesn't sound very imposing. What, what's a handful of sheaves got to do with uh, needing to be rescued from? Well, the sheaves imply like the Grim Reaper. Did you ever see the guy with the black hood and the sickle? Because Keter Laomer, his name literally meant servant of the goddess Laomer who they believed was the one that took people into the underworld. So basically, the ringleader of this whole mess is the guy that's serving the god of death. And there's a lot of people living in bondage to death. Uh, Not only was his name Keter Leomar, he went by the nickname, or he was also known as the Ravager of the West. And how many of you know people who their lives have been ravaged by sin and death? Come on, right there, we, we see people that need to be rescued from Keter Leomar. So I'm not worried about you remembering all these kings' names, but know first, people need to be rescued from sin and death. 
And that is the ringleader of them all. He is the, the greatest enemy. He's the last one to be defeated is death. And he is the one that is wreaking havoc in people's lives. And we have the answer for it. We have the ability to come and say, there's a way to be rescued from living in, in the fear and the shadow of death, from walking in that place where you're always worried about, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to go wrong? There's, there's death right around the corner. And there's rescue available from that. So he, he was the one that organized it all. We can be delivered from sin and death. Uh, his next henchman there was Tidal, which Tidal, his name literally translates as fearfulness. How many of you know people that are living in bondage to fear? And they're, they're going around afraid of what's around every corner. Uh, if you don't know it, do not fear is actually the most common command in the Bible. Why would, why would God do that? Why would he put do not fear in there the most times more than anything else he told us? Because he knows us. <laughs> Come on. There, there are times in our lives all of us have been tempted. We've given in to fear. It's something that a lot of people live in bondage to. It's enough so that so many times God had to say in scripture, don't forget, do not fear. Don't give in to that. And that was one of the kings that came against them in the field and carried off Abram's nephew was the God of fear, basically. And we can be rescued from that. Jesus came to deliver us from fear through his perfect love. What an amazing promise to us. So we had Kedele Armar and Tidal. Uh, the next guy was Amraphel, and his name literally translates as the sayer of darkness. How many of you have ever had somebody speak into your life that you just wish they'd keep their mouth shut? Come on. You don't have, maybe I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands in church because what if it's the person down the row from you? Uh, there are sometimes people come and they just begin to speak negativity over you and they begin to say these things that if we're not careful, we begin to believe them and we start acting like those things and we receive those can actually be curses over our lives that change our belief structure. He is the sayer of darkness. And I believe the enemy sends those people into our lives that begin to speak those things over us to try to get us to change our belief system and come into agreement with the enemy. And we can be rescued from that. There are so many people living, believing negative things over their lives. They're living under a curse and they need to come out of, they need to be rescued to break that agreement with the enemy and know what Jesus has declared over their lives. And we carry the ability to do that, to bring rescue to people. And it could be as simple as you opening your mouth and saying something that breaks the power of those negative words and beginning to tell them what Jesus says about them and how loved they are. So those are three of the kings. The fourth one was Arioch, and his name literally meant lion-like. How many of you know in First Peter it says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for whom he can devour? So here's, here's our fourth member of this group of evil kings, and he was lion-like. He was looking for somebody to devour. And I think if you read that verse in 1 Peter, the remedy to being devoured is to humble yourself, to not worry, to be self-controlled and alert. And then the enemy has no place in our lives. He's always looking for someone to devour. And who he devours are the people that give into the flesh, that are walking according to the dictates of the flesh, and he devours those people. But we can be rescued from the mouth of the roaring lion. The enemy has no place in our lives because of what Jesus did. So if you read the rest of that story, the four kings, one against the five kings, and these evil kings, they routed the king of Sodom. 
Sodom and Gomorrah and their other friends, they began to run away. Uh, The king of Sodom and his friends, they represent the works of the flesh, trying to accomplish things in your own strength, trying to just figure it out on your own without God's intervention, without the help of the Holy Spirit. And they got routed by the enemy. That is what happens in our life when we live according to the flesh, the world systems, and we try to figure out on our own, and we leave God out of the picture, you will have your lunch eaten, you will be destroyed by the systems of the world and the devil. And that's exactly what happened in this story. The devil and his henchmen came, and they routed the systems of the world, and it says as they tried to run away, they got stuck in the tar pits in the plain, and they couldn't escape. And so the, the evil kings carried them all off as slaves and took all the plunder. And I, th- I thought, getting stuck in the tar pits, that's what happens if we believe these things from the enemy. Sometimes, have you ever come in a place where you get stuck in your life and you just can't move past something? And it's like, oh man, I've, I've let a door open or I believe something the enemy said and I got stuck and I can't move past it. That's what happened. They got stuck and they got captured and carried away. And Lot got carried away because even though he was Abram's nephew, He was living in Sodom, in the world systems, trying to do things in his own strength, and he got swept up in the whole thing. Sometimes we get trapped, and then we get carried off, and we live in bondage to those things, and we need to remember Jesus gives us the ability to be rescued. And so, thankfully, in this story, somebody in Lot's household or somebody from one of those cities escaped and went to tell Abram. Somebody had enough sense to say, hey, I know somebody that's not living in the world systems. He knows God. Let me go talk to him to see what needs to happen in this circumstance. So somebody escaped. They went to Abram. Uh, They knew that the world's way of doing things couldn't defeat the enemy. But somebody we know knows God and can do something about it. And I believe if you read through all of scripture, I think Abram is, he's probably the biblical poster child for ordinary flawed people becoming heroes. Come on, if you read the, the life story of Abraham, what did he do? He, he was in fear. He lied about who his wife was twice. He got in trouble for it twice. He, he tried to create God's promise, bring it to pass in his own strength. He let his wife talk him into having an affair with another woman just to try to produce God's promise. There are all these things that if, if I was writing the story, I probably would have whitewashed it and left those things out. But all of the flaws, all of the ordinary stuff, the stuff that he did that's just like what we're tempted to do in life, Abraham did it all, and yet he's still a hero. Because in the middle of it all, he knew God. And he had a promise. He knew God so well that that when he went to sacrifice Isaac, he just figured, hey, I I know Isaac is the promise, but I serve a God that could raise him from the dead even if he gets killed. Come on. So in spite of all his flaws, what made him heroic? In spite of all his flaws, he knew a God who was a redeemer and a rescuer. And it's the same thing with us. If you ever question, could I really be a hero? Is there anything God could do for me? You just need to know that in spite of all the flaws, you could be the most flawed person on display, your story out there for everybody to see and everybody to read throughout history, and God will still call you a hero. And it starts with, I know him. I know that even if I screw it up, even if I don't do it right, he's faithful. He's able. He is a rescuer. And that's exactly who Abraham is in the story. He was flawed, but he knew the one true God and knew that he had a promise. And in spite of our ordinariness and our flaws in our life, don't be surprised when people get in a time of need and they come and seek us out. Have you ever had that happen? 
to somebody, you, you wouldn't even think it. You're looking at them, hey, they, they hardly ever talk to me at work. They look like they've got together. They get in a rough patch and they come talk to you. Will you, will you pray for me? How did, how did you deal with this situation? I, I heard somebody talking. You had this same thing going on in your life. How'd you ever make it through that? Sometimes we're not even aware that people are watching our lives and we think we're screwing it up at every turn. We go around the corner. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I got to go around that mountain again. I got to learn that lesson again. But people, when they get in their time of need, they will seek out the people who know the one true God and know that he's faithful. And somebody had enough sense when the, the king Ketaleomar routed the other kings and carried off Lot, somebody had enough sense to say, I'm going to go find the guy that knows God and see what can happen in this situation. And in Genesis chapter 14, verse 14, it says, when Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 men, the trained men born in his household, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. And this is a key. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. Even though Abram was the man of God, he didn't go alone. How many of you know there is safety in numbers? (laughs) There is something about standing together. And if you notice in the story, Abram took 318 trained men from his own household. That speaks to me of the local church and what God is doing. When you are going through something, don't underestimate the power of getting the people in the church rallied to you, to pray with you, to stand with you, to ask them for help. There is something about, I'm, I am not opposed. You can have friends all over the world. You can have people in other churches praying for you. Some of my best friends go to other churches. But there is something about your tribe getting people in your household to stand with you and to believe with you. Somebody that's not going to say, oh, well, uh, we'll pray that if it's God's will, you know, that'll happen. Get somebody that you know in the house that's going to say, hey, we're going to declare the goodness of God over your circumstances until we see them turn around. I'm going to stand with you in faith. And that's exactly what Abraham did. He took people from his own household. Even though he knew God himself, he didn't go alone. Don't ever go alone. The, the roaring lion guy that we talked about, that's one of his key strategies is to get you isolated and by yourself, and then he can pick you off. Abraham didn't go alone. Uh, that speaks to me of the local church, and he also went with a strategy. You know, you can actually ask God, tell me what to do in these circumstances. Lord, Lord, give me some direction. Send somebody to give me confirmation about what decisions to make. It says Abraham had a strategy. They divided their forces. They waited till daybreak. They attacked. And God gave them success. He gave them victory because he was with them. As, as we read in the story last week, uh, when Hezekiah was trying to encourage the people, he said they only have the arm of the flesh with them. But we have God on our side. That's exactly what happened to Abraham in this story. They only had the arm of the flesh, the world's way of doing things, the evil things that the enemy does. But God was on Abraham's side. And he gave them the victory because of it. Know this this morning. Because we aren't mere men, we will see people rescued. We should, we should have that as an expectation in our lives that when I see people in bondage, when I see them living in fear, when, when death is all they are preoccupied with, when things aren't going well, I have the ability to speak rescue into their lives. 
And because we're not mere men, because the spirit of God lives in us, we will see people rescued. Look at your neighbor, say, somebody's going to be rescued. Uh, Come on, can we say it like we actually believe it? Like there there is a promise in scripture that the Holy Spirit lives in us and somebody's going to be rescued because we're heroes because Jesus lives in us. One more time, look at somebody, say, somebody's going to get rescued. God, we, we, just, we speak that right now, Lord, over the lives of the people that are in our sphere of influence, the people that are living under the power of darkness, people that are afraid of death, people that have living, been living by the flesh and having the enemy devour them. We speak rescue to them in Jesus' name. That's what we need to have an expectation. When you go out into the world, when you leave this place, you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You are a bearer of the light. You go back into a world that's filled with darkness and people that are living in bondage and you have the ability to say there is rescue for you. And that's what we need to be bearers of. We need to understand Jesus rescued us so I can be a rescuer to others. And having that expectation, we will see it. And how we react after people get rescued is really important too. Because at the end of the story, here's what happened. Abram rescued, he had this great victory. Come on, there were, there were five kings, the king of Sodom, all the world's systems, they couldn't beat the devil. You know, even though they outnumbered him, four, five kings against four, you would think it would be a rout. They couldn't defeat them even though they had greater numbers. And there's Abraham man of God with only his 318 guys goes out and routes the, that invading army. Gets a complete and utter victory. Comes back with the spoils. I got everything back. Come on. What? Broken relationships. Things, th- things that we think, oh, that sin is so bad. Nobody could ever do anything about that. Or we see our neighbor, they're just in fear all the time. I got everything back. What are we expecting for that's not too hard for God? It might not look like the arm of the flesh can deliver you, but God can do something about it. And Abraham got everything back. And he came back from the victory, and two people came out to meet him. There there were two different guys that came out to see Abraham after the victory. In Genesis 14, 17, it says, After Abram returned from defeating Keterleomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shabbat. Then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was priest of God Most High. Isn't that amazing? Even after this victory, after he got everything back, the two people that come out to meet him represent the world systems and Christ. Because that's, I don't have time to unpack Melchizedek this morning, but he is a picture of Christ. And, and the, that's the first time you see bread and wine in scripture, which we know is a foreshadow of Jesus at the Last Supper, breaking the bread and wine. But the two people that come out to see him are basically the world's way of doing things and God's way of doing things. And even after that great victory, Abraham still had a choice to make. How am I going to respond to this victory? And the king of Sodom, he offered a reward to Abraham. He said, keep the stuff and give the people back to me. That's very tempting, isn't it? Here comes Abraham back from this big victory. He, he recovered everything. And the world system, the king of Sodom says, hey, you can, you can keep the stuff, but give the people back to me. How many of you know in God's economy, the real prize is not the stuff. It's the people. 
And we are tempted sometimes to keep the benefits of the rescue. Hey, I don't care what happens to the people. Look at what we can promote. I, I got like 10 more notches on my belt because I got people saved or I, I helped get them set free and they started giving to the church or whatever it may be. We get tempted to forget about the people or the real prize. And so when Abraham was tempted with that, he actually said he had good sense because he had a, a little bit of a relationship with God, even though he had stumbled and was ordinary and flawed. He said, hey, I told God that no one else is going to be able to say you made Abraham rich. And he said, keep your stuff. I don't need it because I'm trusting in God. We need to be ones that even when we see big victories, know that there's going to be a temptation. How do we respond to it? And I'm still not going to do it the world's ways. We need to say, no, I trusted in him to get the victory in the first place. I'm going to honor him for the victory too. And that's exactly what happened right after the king of Sodom came out to see him, Melchizedek. The king of peace, the, the picture of Christ comes to see him. And instead of giving stuff to Abraham, like the king of Sodom wanted to do, Melchizedek actually received a tithe from Abraham. Abraham was so moved by the victory that he gave a tenth of everything to Melchizedek and said, I'm, I'm honoring, I can't even get into all of it, but he was actually honoring Jesus, honoring God for what the victory that had come to him by giving and tithing to Melchizedek. And it just makes me think, just, just one comment on tithing. I know we're, we weren't talking about money specifically this morning, but Abraham tithed because he already had a victory, not because he was trying to get one. I, I, I tithe, I respond to God out of his goodness in my life, not because I'm trying to twist his arm to bless me or to do something in my life. All right, thank you for that sermon on money there, Pastor Chris. That's, I, I preach this whole sermon on Abraham and heroes rescue people, and somebody's going to go out and say, oh, that's all they ever talk about in that church is money. Uh, come on, that was like 40 seconds in the whole sermon. But Abraham tithed to Melchizedek because he already had a victory, not because he was trying to get one. He was honoring God, and I, I, that is the response to his goodness. So when we see rescue happen in our lives and in the lives of others, we need to acknowledge that God did something that the world systems could never produce. Remember when you were living in fear? Now you're living in peace. Now you've got joy. You used to have sorrow. Now you've got hope for a future. We need to acknowledge that the world systems can never produce that, but God is the one that did it. This week, what I'm asking us to do when we leave this place, be a hero by offering rescue to somebody. Look for somebody in your life. Who's, who do you know that is just, they're worried about death all the time and they, they, you see the effects of sin and death in their life and they can't get their mind off it. Who do you know that's living in fear all the time? Man, I've got to hold on tightly to what I have because somebody might take it from me. I'm, I'm always concerned. Who do you know that's living in fear that needs rescued? Come on, there are people in our lives that are, just like that first verse we read, they're living under the tyrannical rule of darkness and they need to know that there is rescue available for them. Look for somebody this week to offer rescue and don't stop offering rescue just because they don't accept it the first time around. If you, if you read, uh, I think it's in Acts chapter 7, uh, maybe Peter is given the, the sermon and uh, he talks about the whole history of the Jewish race. And he, he, there's this one verse that's fascinating. He says, Moses thought they would accept him as their rescuer. 
and they rejected him. Even though Moses actually was the rescuer that God had sent into their lives, they rejected him and they they were looking for some other way to get out of it. And what I want to tell you is some people don't know they need to be rescued. Some people aren't aware that that they're living in bondage to darkness. They, They don't even know like, oh, there's a better way to do this life than what I'm doing right now. They may not accept it at first, but don't stop offering rescue to them even if they don't accept it. I don't know about you. Uh, how many times did you have to see and hear and experience what Jesus was doing in the world and other people's lives before you understood like, oh, he wants to do that in my life. And it happens because God is faithful and he sends people in our lives that are faithful enough to continue to say, there's a better way. There's rescue available for you today. I want to, let's go ahead and stand together. And I want to read a couple verses as we pray and go this morning. I, I thought these are, these are great verses to remind us of where we came from, what we've experienced, and what we have to offer to others. Just, uh, just close your eyes for a minute and listen to these verses from Titus chapter 3. It says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. And Titus 3 verse 4 says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of any righteous thing we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And in doing that, he made us heroes that can carry rescue to other people in the world. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you right now, and the first thing, right off the bat, we say thank you, God. We are so grateful that you sent Jesus to walk on this earth, to die the death on the cross, and to raise up out of that tomb so that we could have life. Thank you, God, that you delivered us. You translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And God, we ask right now that you would help us to be good stewards of that rescue. What you have done in our lives, let us pass it on to others. Let us be ones that offer that rescue to the people around us. When we see people living in darkness, help us, Lord, not to turn our head or to turn a blind eye, but to be aware that we have experienced something that they need. And let us offer that to them. God, we say right now that we have faith that you will do it that we will see people rescued. The moment that we turn our attention to you, we invite you into those circumstances. We declare that you are the rescuer of all of humanity. We believe that we will see it in the people's lives that we love and care about also. God, all around this room where where there's family members that don't know you, where there's people at work living in darkness, where there's neighbors in our neighborhood, Lord, we ask that you would move in their lives, that you would use us to carry the message of your rescue to them. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the one with power to break the power of darkness and to set us free. 
God, we say that we love you, we honor you, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, we ask that you would do more of it. <laughs> Lord, Lord, whatever you're doing in each life around this room, increase it, do more of it, God. Not for our own benefit so that we could just pat ourselves on the back, but so that we could have a testimony to declare the goodness of Jesus to the world around us. God, I bless your people right now. I thank you for your hand upon us. Even as we go from this place, we are filled with your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. God, God, it is overwhelming what you've done in our lives. Just bless us indeed, even as we go from here. We thank you that your presence and your power goes with us. In Jesus' name.